Welcome back to the Wit and Whiskey cast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here, of course, with my co-host with the most, Mark Rossetti, but we're also joined by friend of the show and special guest, Ryan George. Say hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. I hate everybody, except for Ryan. Which is okay. <laughs> everybody else I can't stand. You know, it's been way too long since we had a guest in the show, and we figured, you know, last episode of season five, probably the last uh, regular episode before there's a tiny human running around my house. Uh, so we wanted to do it off right. Uh, we're here to talk about one of our favorite uh, topics. But before we get into that, um, Ryan, how you been? Oh, gosh. Um, well, start of term has, has happened. I work in a university, and it's just been absolute chaos and insanity. I've been doing a lot of 12-hour days. All my crocheting is on hold. Um, but I got promoted, so that was cool. Nice. Hey, how about it? Yeah. Um, good stuff there. And we started playing pool again this weekend. And, of course, Netflix adaptation of Neil Gaiman Sandman came out, so I am stoked Yes, oh, I'm I'm saving it for, <laughs> for when I have a long stretch of time to watch all of it. So, 18 years? <laughs> no, like like two or three weeks. That, that there should, uh, Assuming everything goes well with the pregnancy, we'll be done with the house in about two to three weeks, and then we've got some downtime. Oh, you're adorable. Well, for what it's worth, it has my seal. <laughs> Somebody, somebody save this recording in two or three weeks. Uh, Alexa, set a reminder. <laughs> How about you, Mark? What you been up to? Uh, it's hot. And uh, I was, we had an event here yesterday, which is why the 1821 Studios wasn't a studio and why we were having some technical hiccups, because even though everything is still plugged in the way it was, uh, the computer's just like, hey, cool, you didn't plug all this stuff in that's plugged in. Uh, but we had a Civil War event here yesterday. I got to hang out with General Custer and uh, a few other leading lights. Uh, wearing a frock coat and vest and top hat and whatnot in 92-degree weather is not something I really recommend. Uh, we also had someone cooking over an open fire in 92-degree weather, which is a little crazy. Sweet Jesus. But we did it. Um, I got asked to tour with a group. They want me to be Secretary of War Stanton, which, as much fun as that would be, because I would outrank them all and can order them all around, if I'm going to burn up weekends traveling around, dressing up in layers of clothing on a hot day, I'll just go racing again. Mm. <laughs> like, I retired for a reason. Uh, but it was fun. You know, I got to see some people I haven't seen in a while, because I used to do reenacting long, long ago, or at least it feels like long, long ago. Uh, but... We're here. Uh, it rained pretty much all day today, which I guess is good. I mean, it hasn't rained in a while, so I guess we'll take it. But now it's just humid because all that water is just hanging. Amazing. What about you? Has a dumpster come yet? No. Dumpster gets delivered uh, as we're recording this, the end of this week. So the, the Friday this episode drops, the dumpster should be here. I want a countdown clock like on CNN. <laughs> so many days, hours, minutes, seconds. Oh, I can't handle that pressure. It's going to be so much work this week to like go through all of the boxes in our basement and get, just line up all the shit we need to get rid of. Uh, I, I, I think our dear friend AJ may be coming by for a couple hours to help me l lug the heavy shit, but 
It, it's going to be a lot. I need to rip apart my garage before the dumpster gets here. I, I'm not ready for this, Mark. No. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so th- this weekend really was all about finishing off all the major uh, house renovations. Uh, I've fully moved into the office. Uh, I've got all of the outlet covers that I had left installed. We, we need to have like an art day later in August to hang up some art in the house. But the big project this weekend was getting our kitchen closet sorted. So, uh, you know, we had put all of the drywall up. We had mudded. We had painted. It's a horrible piece of shit job. It's the worst thing I've done on this house. Uh, but I didn't care because it's a closet. Nobody's looking anyways. Um, but I finally bought myself a nice big set of shelves and I, I built them into the closet. I did, they're not wall-mounted. They're like one of those nice big six-foot wire shelves. And uh, I just anchored it to the wall and then completely cleaned out and restructured my entire kitchen. So all of the big shit, the, the blender, the, the food processor, all of the weird uh, cooking devices and, and things like that are now in the closet. And I was able to like create a baking dishes section in my kitchen and put put away things and move the coolers downstairs and now actually the kitchen functions like I'm a real kitchen for the first time in five years mm-hmm. um yeah it, it was it was pretty incredible uh we had some family over today so it was all day yesterday getting the kitchen sorted um but it was a ton of cleaning like vacuuming and sweeping and mopping and all all sorts of stuff to to ready the house uh, but I can officially say, for the first time ev- ever, my mother-in-law walked into my house and had zero complaints about how messy it was. <laughs> that felt very good today. The personal win. Hey, you gotta take those small victories. <laughs> we do. But yeah, no, I'm very excited to have this dumpster. It, I'm gonna try to get rid of the dumpster in a week, but they said if I need it for an extra weekend, it shouldn't be too big of a deal. So, uh, it's I'm mostly concerned with making sure they get it into the driveway with enough room for everybody to get around it. But yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of all I got today. Uh, who who wants to go first, Mark or Ryan? You guys get to decide who shares their drink first. You know, some gentleman you are, I think on the show we go in the spirit of ladies first. Chivalry is not dead, good sir. Yeah, but gender is a construct. It is, but Walked we right go into by medieval. That one. <laughs> <laughs> I can go first. I have, um, I have something fun that I, I kind of picked as an homage to a DJ, actually. Uh-oh. <laughs> this bears well. Uh, <laughs> so it is rabbit holes... Uh, let's see, Dairy Ringer, Dairy Ringer, Derringer. Um, it's a, mm, yeah, that could be it. Maybe there's, <laughs> there's too many R's from what I'm expecting. So I'm not sure what to do with them. Um, it's D A R E and then ringer. Hmm. I'm looking this up um, to get the spelling right. Uh, but you keep going. <laughs> all right. So it's a straight bourbon whiskey. And it's finished in PX Sherry Casks. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, I know how you love your Sherry Casks. So it's 93 proof, 46.5% ABV. Um, and Mark, I got the mash bill for you. 
Ooh, hit me. <laughs> it's 68% corn, uh, 18% wheat, and 14% malted barley. Um, and their sort of tagline is always toasted and charred and never chill filtered. Hmm. Um, I do have a little bit of a quote from the site because I didn't know what PX stood for. Um, and then it said, so it says this super premium straight bourbon whiskey is carefully crafted by taking fine weeded bourbon aged in alligator char barrels and resting it in handmade Pedro Ximenez, maybe sherry casks from Spain's renowned Casnolia Cooperage. We then intimately blend no more than 15 barrels to produce our desired flavor profile. Wow. That's intense. Um, yeah, it is pretty intense. It kind of, it keeps going on continually to be intense, but I got kind of hung up on the alligator char thing. Alligator char that, I mean, Oh, I think I actually know about this. Um, it, the way it's the way that they char the barrel, it makes the inside of the barrel look like alligator scales. Okay, oh, yeah, because they didn't mention it anywhere else afterwards. They're like oak barrels, and this is how we build them. And I'm like, can you please just explain the alligator part? <laughs> <laughs> what am I eating, drinking right now? Wait a minute. Okay. Right. <laughs> um. So, I am generally a bourbon drinker. I like rye and Irish whiskeys as well. Um, this is very, mm, it's very smooth. Like I kind of missed the burn a little bit. Mm. Um, but it's definitely got like fruit forward, fruit after fruit in like 10 minutes. Um, it's, it's fruity and sweet and literally tastes like cranberries. It's odd. Normally it's like, I don't, I don't relate to the notes of whatever, but I get it with this one. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear what you think about it sometime, DJ, but I'll, I'll be honest. I'd, I'll go back to my, uh, my high West. <laughs> Mar- Mark's uh, coming after my that. own heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did. I did look it up for a previous episode. The Pedro Zimene uh, or Zimenez is uh, it's a white Spanish wine grape varietal. Uh, and mm-hmm. it supposedly leads to a sweet, dark dessert sherry, which I think is probably why I like anything PX Cascaged. Yeah, no, I definitely get it. Oh, I meant to mention the, um, so the cost on this one is a little heavy, but I did just get promoted, so I thought, like, I can just swing with that. Um, it is uh, coming in at 70 bucks here in Massachusetts. Nice. Sometimes you just got to treat yourself. Yeah, I, I did <laughs> in the last few weeks buy myself a bottle of uh, Glenmore and cheese nectar Dior. I bought myself a scotch, Mark. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Mark? What are you drinking? Well, I went, I got to go to a new liquor store uh, this week, which, you know, is a big deal here in Pennsylvania when the state monopoly decides to give us peons a new place to shop. So I happened to be over at the uh, Lowe's buying firewood for the reenactment for this weekend, and there was the new liquor store there. So I went, and I wandered over to where the bourbons and ryes and everything were. And what caught my eye was there was a little tag uh, saying that a product was limited. You could only buy two bottles per person. And I didn't even really realize what it was because, of course, it was all the way stuffed in the back. And 
when I looked, there was only two bottles left, and it was Sazerac Rye. Mm, good stuff. And I stopped and went, why does that have a limit on it? And I was kind of staring at it, and the guy was like, oh, that's good stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, why is there a limit? He goes, oh, you can't get it. You know, as fast as we get it, as fast as it goes out, it's only like five bottles. Uh, blah, blah. And it was like twenty eight ninety nine, And so I just stood there for a while perplexed and shrugged and put a bottle in my cart. And so here we are. I've done a little research between now and then. Uh, the reason why it apparently is so difficult to find here in Pennsylvania is it is once again another product from Buffalo Trace. <laughs> and for whatever reason, we just don't get their stuff. <laughs> New Hampshire um, doesn't either, so don't feel too bad, buddy. Well, I was just very confused because, like, I've, you know, heard of the Sazerac company. I've heard of the brand. I've seen photos of the funky-looking, you know, 19th-century-style bottle. But I just had never put two and two together that I didn't have any of it. So uh, it's 90 proof. It doesn't have an official age statement, although Buffalo Trace claims it's about six years old. But, you know, if it really was, they would put out an age statement. Mm. Uh, the mash bill, it's actually kind of a baby rye, you know, an, an underaged rye, if you will. 51% rye, 39% corn, and only 10% malted barley. Uh, it's a similar mash build that's used in some other Buffalo Trace brands, Thomas Handy, uh, the Van Winkle Family Reserve rye, although not the really, you know, big time Van Winkle stuff, but, uh, this one you'll often see listed as baby Saz because it's not their 18 year stuff which you know if that's if the regular shit's so hard to get here I can't even imagine what a bottle of the 18 year would go for <laughs> but it is what it is um it's okay I, I guess you know if it didn't have all the hype surrounding it and if it you know wasn't like oh you can only buy so many bottles and you can only do this and blah 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 it probably would be better there's I can't pick up any smell notes it just smells like alcohol yeah. Which is weird because, like, it's only 90 proof. And it tastes like it's only 90 proof. But if you smell it, it smells like a glass of turpentine. <laughs> and I can't figure out why. I don't know if this bottle is skunked or what. But uh, it's not bad. It has a good rye bite. Uh, gives you kind of a little bit of some fruitiness in the middle. Like, almost like a dark-aged fruit. Like a black cherry, almost. And then you get a little bit of licorice and then just a little bit of pepper at the end. And you get some good little bit of burn on the end. It's like a medium, medium to long burn. Uh, so it's fine. It's definitely worth 28 bucks. I don't think it really lives up to the hype. But then again, what really does? <laughs> Fair. I seem to remember reviewing a Sazerac rye a couple seasons ago. And it, I, I feel like my take on it was that it, it's like the most generic, like if you could consider a rye whiskey, generic rye whiskey, I feel like Sazerac is the most generic. I mean, yeah, it kind of smells the most generic. Yeah. So like, it, it's like the, the off brand rye whiskey. <laughs> I mean, basically, if this were a cartoon, it would be a bottle with just XXX on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went and grabbed uh, a liqueur that I 
Swear to God I had reviewed before, but I couldn't seem to find it anywhere in our notes. So I'm reviewing it tonight. Um, and this is kind of a follow-up to your Benedictine review somewhere in our past. Oh, I know what you're going to do. Uh, and I am reviewing uh, B&B, which is both a cocktail and a liqueur. Uh, which I thought was really interesting, and that's why I wanted to review it today. Uh, I tried it first in a local restaurant uh, in Dover, and they had uh, a take on an old-fashioned where they used B&B. And I thought it was really good, and I asked the bartender a lot about it, and he's like, oh, yeah, it like makes a lot of cocktails really easy because it's already got Benedictine and, and brandy right in it. So B&B <laughs> is put out by the Benedictine company. Uh, it is is made off of an old 1930s, supposedly like everything else in the, in the cocktail culture, it is a prohibition cocktail, uh, which I, I don't know. It's apocryphal at best, but supposedly uh, they produced this cocktail by combining 60% Benedictine with 40% French brandy. Uh, and letting the flavors rest and harmonize in small vintage French oak barrels uh, that have previously been used to age only the finest of cognacs. It's ridiculous. Um, but it is Remember, really Remember, Benedictine is all hype. It is. It's 100% <laughs> hype, but it does lend itself to some really interesting flavors. And I do legitimately like this. I would say it's probably one of my top five liqueurs. I, I like combining it with whiskey in weird ways, uh, it kind of goes well with everything. It goes well with coffee uh, cocktails. It, it goes well with rum. It goes it, it goes well with just about everything, and that's it's kind of fun. It's it's a bit light and flirty. Uh, it, it's it's um, it's definitely got like a finish of honey. It's got some some fruit. Uh, it says it's supposed to have a spicy fragrance. It really doesn't. Um, I don't know. It just, it, it smells amber. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't it, like, I, this probably sounds really weird, but it smells what I would imagine the amber around the, the mosquito in Jurassic Park would smell like. And that can't be true. Really, spe- really specific amber. It's extremely specific. Um, but it's really good. It's a nice, bright color. It's roughly the color of whiskey, so it goes really well with whiskey cocktails. Uh, you know, we, we talked last week about black walnut. I feel like this is another flavor profile that goes well. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed because... I wanted to make a cocktail with B&B, and the problem is that it is its own cocktail. So when you look up B&B cocktails, it's like, do you have some coffee? Just pour this in it. It's fine. Um, (laughs) I literally found, like, the two cocktails on the the website that aren't just pour B&B over ice are... um, some Make some fancy bullshit coffee and then pour Benedictine in it. Or uh, make some fancy bullshit coffee and then shake it over ice. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. An iced coffee and a hot coffee. That's stupid. This is nothing. So uh, I do highly recommend it. 
Uh, I also recommend just do some interesting things with it. Like try adding some fizz, try throwing in some orange, try some cherry liqueur. I'm sure you could do some really interesting things with it. I spent like 20 minutes trying to research what people are doing with B&B and they're just not. They're like, it's its own cocktail. Why would you want to combine it with anything? Sounds like you have homework, DJ. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's good. It's solidly good. I've definitely, uh, I've definitely done an old fashioned with it before and it's pretty, pretty damn tasty. I kind of want to do like a, like a tea cocktail with it at some point. I feel like that would mm. lend itself pretty well because it mm-hmm. does kind of have that like honey Benedictine profile that would go well. You're just trying to save face after you've set back uh, Amero-Franco relations 35 years from that <laughs> initial review. Probably. But uh, Mark, what do we got for whiskey news? Well, I figured we would end the season on a little bit of tech. Uh, I, for one, welcome our new automated overlords. The uh, Coming to a home near you, and they're taking pre-orders right now, because DJ always complains we can't do pre-orders. <laughs> they're taking pre-orders right now by Black & Decker. They're not just for cheap uh, electric drills anymore. The BEV, B-E-V, all lowercase, very important, and this is a home cocktail making machine and drink maker. I don't know why you need to put making and maker in the same sentence, but here we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, this is a Keurig for cocktails. Oh, my God. I hate this. So you can uh, basically it looks like a Keurig in the center, but it has like a little canopy over the top. And there are little things that you can attach up to six bottles, two on each side, three on each side of the machine. And in the center where you put your pods, you actually have to buy, they don't call them pods, they call them capsules from a company named Bartizan, mm-hmm. which I hate already just based on the name. And <laughs> basically these capsules are your mixers. So you have a capsule for a Long Island iced tea, for a margarita, for whatever, whatever, whatever. You load one into the Keurig part, you tell the machine what bottles it needs to pull from, bottle one, bottle two, bottle three, and then you adjust the knob to uh, multiple uh, settings. There's mocktail, regular, uh, no, mocktail, weak, regular, and strong, which presumably just puts more shots in, and then it makes you a drink, and you put a glass underneath it, and it tells you whether or not you should have ice in the glass, and it makes you a drink. It is a, a little pricey. <laughs> Pre-orders start at $300 plus tax. Uh, if you want a uniform set of bottles, if you don't want to use your own bottles, that's another $50. And none of this includes any capsules. And I have not uh, looked up on Amazon. Amazon, I know, sells the Bartizan cocktails. All right, so just clicking here, for Sex on the Beach, a six-pack is going to run you $15. Jesus. Mm. And they have gin martini, margarita, rum brie, Sex on the Beach, Old Fashioned, Long Island Iced Tea, Cosmopolitan, and then a classic collection, which is just uh, six different tabs. 
uh, Whiskey Sour, Rum Breeze, Uptown Rocks, Cosmo, Margarita, and I can't read what the other one is. But they're all about $15 a piece. So the whole kit and caboodle is going to set you back about $400. Plus the liquor. You don't get any liquor with it. So This bullshit's going to put tools of the trade out of business. Right? <laughs> um, I must admit I'm intrigued by the idea, but certainly not at that price point. Um, it would be something like fun at home, you know, something the wife can use if she just wants like a Cosmo in the middle of the day when she's off and I'm not around. That would be kind of good. But I don't know if I see this catching on. It would be a lot of fun at parties, but otherwise people that are going to be making a lot of cocktails at home, like me, you, you know, Ryan, most of our listeners, mm. we're just going to make a cocktail. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. But it's supposed to launch uh, right around Labor Day. Like I said, they're taking pre-orders now. Keep your eyes peeled. Maybe somebody you know will pick one up. My my poor little neurodivergent <laughs> self is is like crying out at this because of how like cathartic I find cooking and making cocktails. And there's so many of these things. Like uh, Bartesian even has a has their own machine that specifically makes like margaritas or martinis. And it's, uh, it's like $70 more expensive than this thing. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's rough. I've seen some TikTokers who have, uh, there's, there's a cool one going around. I'll see if I can find it for next season. Um, where you like put the cup on a pad and then it weighs out it, like it says here pour whiskey you pour whiskey in and then it'll tell you to stop when you get to the right weight and then it's like pour in simple syrup pour in lemon juice pour in this and then you're basically making a cocktail by by design i feel like that's a little bit more okay you know you don't have to know the recipe and you can control your ingredients rather than these weirdly dried pods which seems a lot of people are finding the drinks too sweet make your own fucking cocktails Ugh. it would be a it's lot weird. of fun to to break that machine though pour in your whiskey now okay stop okay <laughs> you can stop now <laughs> please stop pouring whiskey <laughs> yeah the black and decker bev don't do it it puts us out of a business uh, it's yeah. so weird. It does look like a Keurig machine. It's odd. Doesn't it though? It, it looks like it, a, like it looks like somebody just took a Keurig. Somebody hammered was like, "I can make this better." <laughs> I want to know if anybody has ever like gone to like been way too tired in the morning and gone to make their coffee and ended up with an old fashioned instead. <laughs> Oh shucks! I did it again. <laughs> oh well, no! Can't let got, it go to waste. Gotta drink it now. <laughs> or vice versa. Has somebody put the? Could you make Irish coffees with it? I wonder. Probably. Like, could you modify a Keurig pod to fit? I wonder. Well, you know, they have like with the Keurigs, like they make your own coffee things, and you yeah instead of the disposables. I wonder if they'll have that for this. Make your own, like, base. Yeah, you could. You could make your own base. Uh, You know what you're doing at that point? Making a fucking (laughs) cocktail. Making your own cocktail. (laughs) Just get a cocktail shaker for $10. 
You know, anyone See, who I, gets this is going to just use it, make it once or twice, and be like, well, actually, it's easier just to make the damn cocktail. <laughs> I am not as cynical as my co-host. Um, if the good people at Black & Decker, whose products I have used for several years in an automotive setting, <laughs> if they want to send me a demo for free, um, I will happily use one on the condition that I get to... Uh, play with it shall we say uh, i have ideas <laughs> uh if you send mark one uh you know and you can contact us at the wit and whiskey cast at gmail.com uh and if you want to send mark one of these uh we'll make sure to get him on tiktok with all the hilarity that will ensue oh you know amazing. what if i could somehow pull a free one of these out of my ass i actually would go on tiktok yeah <laughs> and there i've said that on tape well no this isn't tape digital recording whatever the hell we're doing here <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! It's about the only way you get me a TikTok. DJ's gonna buy me one for Christmas now. No, and just lie no and one. say it was from Black and Decker, <laughs> just so I have to go on TikTok. Uh, Mark, I love you. I don't. I'm not gonna have three hundred dollars to spend at Christmas this year. No, no, I'm not saying you are, but you're that spiteful. I know you. <laughs> I I would so it's any mm, other year. <laughs> you know. I should talk. He's thinking boys. about it. <laughs> we could all chip in some money here and get you on TikTok, and then get you immediately banned because you're on TikTok. Chip in some money. Fuck. Just text Lou. He probably has one. He has every gizmo that was ever built. If he doesn't have one, he can 3D print you one. Sure, we can. So should I do tools of the trade? Yeah, do tools of the trade. Uh, just what, or we could sit here and bitch about you know robots taking our jobs. They're taking our jobs. So I figured uh, tools of the trade today. I would cover um, a cocktail ingredient that is kind of rare. We don't see it very often, at least around here. Um, and I actually couldn't believe that I haven't done this before. I I searched our notes three times to make sure I wasn't duplicating this. Uh, but I wanted to talk about cocktail shrubs. Okay. Uh, and no, we're not talking about the ni- Knights of Knee. Get me a shrubbery. Uh, we are talking about the uh, cocktail additive uh, that is vinegar-based. It's usually a concentrated uh, syrup that has... Uh, some. It combines some fruit, sugar, vinegar. Sometimes there's herbs. I've had some really interesting herbal sh- shrubs. Uh, and... Most often it's apple cider vinegar, but I've seen red wine vinegar. I've seen white wine vinegar ones. Uh, So a shrub is, you know, after that description, it's basically what you would imagine. It's quite tart. Uh, It's it's astringent. It's got that vinegar base, uh, but it's also a bit sweet and syrupy because you've got the fruit, you've got the sugar. So you get sweet and tart, sweet and acidic, really interesting flavor profile. Uh, and a shrub is so complex that you can just use it as the basis of a mocktail very easily. Uh, a little bit of shrub and some soda water, and you're you're off to a pretty complex mocktail already. So if you are the kind of person who doesn't drink, or you've got people in your life who don't drink, um, this could be a really great way to introduce uh, younger people, you know, pre uh, pre 21 to, uh, to alcohol, uh, flavor profiles. So a shrub, uh, is you can have it with ginger ale, uh, club soda, uh, clear water. Uh, you can drink it. Um, it, it's kind of part of this 
larger health crisis. Uh, I wouldn't say, crisis is probably not the right word. Health craze. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are super getting into kombucha. Um, and, and this is going way back. This is, uh, this is taking us back to the age of switchels. Uh, and I had to kind of slightly go off the reservation to talk a little bit about switchels here. So switchels are uh, a vinegar-based drink. Usually it was um, water mixed with vinegar, seasoned with ginger, sometimes sweetened with molasses, honey, brown sugar, maple syrup, depending on where you're at. Uh, fun fact, in, the, in Vermont, weirdly, lemon juice and oatmeal were added. Weird, <laughs> weird things. Uh, but Switchel, I, I know Switchel's a big deal in New England um, because it's something that the uh, the early, you know, our forefathers in, in the nation would be drinking. And it was used on ships because it, you know, the, the ginger brought in uh, what you needed to combat scurvy. So uh, the vinegar, the water, the ginger... Um, you combine those with a bunch of sugar and then you make it a little bit syrupy and you have a shrub. So, uh, switchels. And if you take it half a step further into kombucha territory, you're getting into the modern day health craze. So, uh, shrub cocktails, generally it's like apple shrubs are, uh, go well with mezcal, tequila, vodka, um, there's some good recipes out there for like an apple fennel scrub. Uh, and that, you know, you could do a really interesting cocktail there with a shot of bourbon and a splash of ginger beer. Uh, I am, I'm did a lot of my research on, uh, the website, the spruce eats. So if you want to read this in, in your own time, uh, feel free to go check that out. Uh, there's, there's recipe here for a cranberry fig uh, shrub, a, um, a dequoise recipe, uh, basically it uses a blueberry shrub made with apple cider vinegar and agave. Uh, and then there's like a pear and pomegranate. You'll notice it's a lot of fruits and, and some smaller herbs. So how do we make shrubs? Uh, it's, it's a syrup. Um, it's basically a more complicated, simple syrup. And there's basically two ways to make a shrub. There's a cold method and a warm method. A warm method, you can have a shrub same day. Uh, it's, you know, you put it, uh, you put equal parts sugar and vinegar on the stove and you heat it up and stir until the sugar is dissolved. Holy crap. We have, basically have a simple syrup, but with vinegar. Uh, then you add any fruit, herbs, spices that you want, and you simmer it for about five minutes and you kind of get all of the flavor complexities in. Then you remove it from the heat, cool it down to room temperature, strain out any solids and put your resulting syrup in the, you know, a nice clean glass jar or a squirt bottle, whatever you want to use. Cold process shrubs, uh, <laughs> it's it, it's kind of like the method that I used to make that crazy cherry cordial of, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, you put the fruit and the vinegar together along with any herbs and spices. You shake it. And then you just let it infuse for a week on the counter. Um, you add the sugar after that is all done, after you've strained it out. Uh, shake it up uh, until all the sugar is dissolved, and then you can use it. Um, I would imagine they have slightly different flavor profiles. Uh, it, it's kind of like a hot press versus a cold press. 
uh, or a hot brew versus a cold brew of coffee, you're probably going to get less acidic notes from the fruit uh, if you make it with a cold process. So definitely check this out. There's a lot of really, really great uh, cocktails out there with shrubs. Um, and honestly, like a shrub is a, just a basis for a really great like summer drink. Um, you know, a vinegar drink is actually pretty refreshing. Uh, and so I definitely recommend like m- make yourself like an apple shrub and, and throw it together with like a cinnamon stick and, and some bubbly water and see what you get. And then, you know, work, work your way forward with some, some liquor. Cool. That's another hot take. You just referred to a vinegar beverage as refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very, I'm conflicted right now. I don't know why. It's very refreshing. Have you not had Switchel? I mean, I have, and I, I don't hate it, but I wouldn't refer to it as refreshing. Yeah, it's super it's, refreshing. I mean, like, okay, like, you know, a brutally hot day, you're out working in the yard. You're going to, you know, reach for a tall glass of Switchel? Yeah, why not? You were so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know not to ask questions like that. I cannot wait for your child to be born just so I could be like, everything your dad says about food, wrong. <laughs> to be Look fair, at how skinny he is. Look at how fat your uncle is. Listen to me. <laughs> to be fair, there, there, there definitely was a, um, a like walk through historical museum growing up called Heritage, New Hampshire. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but... Um, you used to be able to, at a certain point in the tour, uh, have uh, a, a small glass of Switchel and some hard tack. <laughs> and I did not I like mean, the Switchel when I was a kid. That's brilliant <laughs> for a historical tour. I've given out samples of hard tack before on tours. You do that for a learning perspective. Look at how shit life used to be. Okay. <laughs> Here's so, some Switchel and hard tack. Yeah. So I know, like, you know, Switchel at its purest in its purest form is not maybe the most refreshing thing but um if you find yourself at an h mart that has uh the the japanese bakery to le jour they have these uh they call them beauty aids uh but they're these really refreshing drinks and they're basically a shrub mocktail because they're vinegar based drinks and they're very refreshing mark so there is a way to use a shrub to make a very refreshing drink. Throw it in some lemonade. Now, see that I would agree with. That would be fine. Um, you know, anything citrus. Throw some lime juice in there. Throw some pineapple juice in there. Uh, but I would say, you know, switchel as a base you could probably work with. But just switchel itself. <laughs> <laughs> My my highly scientific review right there. Yeah, very very scientific. <laughs> I I know we're not on YouTube, but I want to put this episode on YouTube just so the closed captioning tries to do that. <laughs> tries to replicate that noise. Tries to replicate, and then we have to go back in and fix it and just say <laughs> Mark's review of Switchel. It's just you know parentheses inaudible. Close parentheses. <laughs> Uh, I think that brings us into our topic. I closed all my other browse, browser tabs, so we should talk about this awesome topic, which is we're coming back for round two of board games. 
We've threatened it, and here we are. And this time we brought backup, because you cannot cover the world of board games adequately, not just with one episode, not just with two episodes, but just, you know, with the two of us. Because if we're going to sit here, DJ and I are just going to talk about games we've played in the past, usually together, and ones we liked, ones we didn't like, ones we made stupid, funny accents about. And you're not really going to get anywhere. We're just going to, you know, take a jaunt down memory lane and... And with a glass of switchel. Yeah. So uh, we've brought in Ryan to kind of keep us on course here and probably to open our horizons to maybe some games that we don't have in the rotation, but probably should. Yeah. So shameless plug for Ryan here. Ryan is the board game expert <laughs> in my life. She's the one I go to for board game advice. And, uh, you know, DJ did text me about 15 minutes before we went on air and said she's really nervous, so really hype her up. So <laughs> here we are, exactly. the grand, <laughs> the grand poobah of all things board games. It just makes me more nervous now. I feel the pressure. <laughs> there's this no, is a lot of there's no pressure no. here. Mark's just being a dick. It's my mo. I mean, if if we are what 96 episodes in now, I think. Mm. Um, I am, you know, the huge male anatomy part of this program and not huge in a good way. Just I'm a raging dick and that's what I do. God damn it, Mark. Have fun with that. I'm I'm still excited. Games, people. Games. Huzzah. (laughs) All right. Lead us off. What's your first one, Ryan? Okay. All right. So as you both know, like I had the hardest time choosing because I just love games so much. Um, But I tried to pick games. I didn't think DJ would pick from things I've introduced him to. And that's really the only way I could narrow it down. Um, So I've spent all week trying to figure this out. My partner's tired of hearing about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I'm going to, I went with the favorite games with a heavy medium and light. So I kind of combined some criteria here. And I'm going to start off on the heavy side. Um, I picked Dominant Species. It came out in 2010. Um, As far as rating goes, BGG gives it a 7.8. It's a little bit pricey, but not too much. So for people that like board games, it's 64 bucks right now on Miniature Mart. Um, Okay, so here we go. Um, it is one of the heavier games that I actually really enjoy and doesn't require spreadsheets. Um, complexity wise, it comes in at a 4.04 out of five on BGG's complexity scale. And it's published by GMT games and designed by Jad Chenson. If those things mean anything to you. Nice. (laughs) So it's an asymmetrical game that's more focused on worker placement and area control. Uh, And it wraps itself in like a survival of the fittest theme. It's set in a 90,000 BC and an ice age is coming. So everyone is playing a kind of animal class. There's mammal, reptile, birds, amphibian, arachnids, and insects. Um, It's a two to six player, but it shines best at a full six player count. Like, you really want that, like, knife bite and a two-at-table feel. That's where you got to go. Six players. Um, So each round, everyone has the um, playthrough of choosing the actions they're going to do throughout the next part of the the next phase of the round. And that second part is seeing how everything executes because you go from choosing things, but nothing's happening, to watching it play out. 
Nice. And, yeah. Um, so you're going through things from, like, adapting to food depletion. People are dropping glaciers. You're migrating, creating territory. And you're competing with each other. And each end, uh, round ends with a dominance card playthrough. It's, like, the last action. And these actions have, like, game-wide effects. Like, the first time I played this, I had caused another player to have all of their species go extinct, so effectively wiped them off the board, and had another player have one species left. I wasn't popular. That wasn't my most popular gaming moment. (laughs) I mean, you're you're in a game of survival of the fittest. I feel like you just got to play the hell out of it, right? (laughs) Note to self, never play magic with Ryan. Well, I don't do magic, to be fair, so you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, good. Because I, I, I feel like you would ruin friendships in, in magic. Much the same way I ruin friendships in risk, I think you'd ruin friendships in magic. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I, I can be pretty brutal. I always feel like people, when they play games, are sort of opposite of their personalities. If you're kind of warm and cuddly, you are an asshole when you play games. That checks. Yeah. <laughs> so there's my theory on gaming and philosophy. Back to the game. <laughs> um, all right. So the game will end when you run through all those dominance cards. They're like the time boxing of the game. So once the last card um, is played, like comes out, then the ice age begins. And you score throughout the game based on area control. And each of the tiles that you can be on will have a different point value based on how valuable that territory is. Um, one thing I will warn everybody about is that, uh, they say the game time expectation for this, like most games, it's wrong. They say two to four hours, but I don't think I've ever played it that it takes less than six hours. (laughs) Um, at least with five or six players, maybe if you played with two people, but like, this is one of those games you plan like a day around. Yeah, uh, so that's dominant. That's dominant species. <laughs> nice. All right, Mark, you go next. I mean, that does sound like a fun way to kill a Sunday. I'm not going to lie. It's fantastic. All right. <laughs> well, I had to go through our notes and look at the the last one we did to make sure I didn't repeat. But I've gotten a lot of new ones slash dug a lot of new ones out. The wife actually gave me an ultimatum uh, in the last ten days to clean the bar slash game area out. So I had to reorganize my gaming shelf. So this actually was timely. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Portal, the uncooperative cake acquisition game. That is the full title. And uh, it was released in 2015 by Cryptozoic Entertainment, who makes a lot of different licensed games. I have a few of their other stuff. They made a Ghostbusters game. They uh, did a Batman game, although not the one I'm going to talk about today. (laughs) A few other things. Basically, if there's a major media IP, they probably have made a board game out of it. Uh, Of course, it's licensed by Valve and based off of both Portal 1 and Portal 2. Features references to both in it. And basically, uh, you have a board of interlocking shaped tiles, kind of like Settlers of Catan. But the difference is you make a couple different rows Uh, And they all lock together, and you have rows and columns. And at the end of every turn, 
you rotate because the whole thing's supposed to be a conveyor belt and they're supposed to be test chambers and they're supposed to change like how in Portal 2, uh, Wheatley kept changing the chambers. So at the end of every turn, you take the uh, things from the end and you rotate them forward. So basically the board is changing and you're a conveyor belt going closer and closer to the incinerator. And of course, if you get to the incinerator, that's bad. Uh, basically, you play as a scientist or an AI or a group, however you want to imagine it, and you have test subjects, and you can gain more test subjects, or you can have test subjects die. And the little guy named Bendy, if you ever played the last DLC from Portal 2, the little stick figure person, you have a bunch of those. And you use portals to traverse different test chambers, and you have to collect cake. And whoever has the most cake at the end wins. Uh, unlike Portal, the cake is not a lie in the board game. You actually get little plastic cake pieces, which are kind of fun. So basically, if you've ever played old school Trivial Pursuit, the pieces of the pie, you get pieces of cake. Uh, there are the turrets, there's lasers, there's traps. Basically, anything from the game is in there. There's a deck of cards where you can get anything from you know, additional test subjects to screwing your opponent to just having Cave Johnson show up and yell at you. There's a million different ways it can go. And the game is pretty simple. It's pretty fast-moving. It's two to four players. But the strategy can actually be really varied. You know, you can just focus on running around and try to getting the most cake. You can kind of play conservative and just try to avoid the incinerator and let your opponent screw themselves. You could actively screw your opponent or... My favorite, if you have the opportunity to do it, suicide is a viable tactic in this game. Because the game ends when one player has no test subjects left. So if you can acquire a big lead in pieces of cake, you just purposely murder your own test subjects. You have zero, the game ends. Uh, I actually played this one night at a sleepover with Bernie, DJ, and he went ballistic because I just kept killing my people. Amazing, <laughs> and I'm like, there's nothing in the rule book that says I can't do this, and it is Portal, so it's a dark comedy by definition. It's so true, valid. Uh, but uh, it's a great game. It's still available. You can get it uh, online a bunch of different places. It's usually between thirty five and fifty dollars, but it actually comes with a code for Steam for Portal Two if you don't have it already. So. Uh, I highly recommend it, especially if you're a fan of the games, which I am. That's awesome. I, I want to play this, but I specifically want to play it with you. I mean, I have it, so ne next time we get together, I'll bring it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, do. what's your first one? Uh, my first one is actually rapidly become one of my favorite go-to board games. Uh, and I own a copy of it. I've never played my own copy. I'm usually playing with some friends from the dojo. Uh, but it is the game Root, a game of woodland might mm. and right. Have you ever played this, Ryan? So I haven't played it, but it has made it through my gaming groups a couple of times mm. with, with mixed feelings. Yeah, I I feel like it takes a very specific uh, mindset to, to enjoy playing Root. Um, honestly, for me, what got me into it is 100% of the fact that I read all of the Redwall books like crazy when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that got me in. And then I, I just really love that the game plays completely differently based on what faction you are. So 
it is an asynchronous war game, uh, asynchronous, asymmetric war game uh, that is, you know, it's victory points, just like most good games. Uh, and the whole deal is that you're in a forest and there are like forest clearings and there are rivers and, and roads connecting different clearings and different actions that you take earn you different victory points. And some of the, some of the actions are general to everybody. Like when you take over a territory, you get some victory points and some of them are specified by your class. And, uh, they're all very different. Uh, the base game comes with four, uh, the Irie, the, uh, cats, the woodland Alliance and the vag vagabonds. They all play very differently. Uh, the Irie is, um, you know, you're playing birds and it's all like high strategy of like, go here and do this very specific thing. The cats are all, all about like taking over territory and building up an army, the Woodland mm -hmm. Alliance is about recruiting different woodland creatures to their cause and building up slowly. Uh, and the Vagabonds are, are all about like stealth and like buying things from other players and taking over small amounts of territory here and there. And it's just a lot of fun. Um, there are a bunch of expansions. Uh, my favorite expansion is the River Folk expansion. Uh, River Folk adds uh, the otters and the lizards. The otters are all merchants. It's my favorite class in the entire game. It's so much fun to play. Um, and you basically just get to like buy things and sell things to people, and you're the only class in the game that can just freely use waterways. Uh, the lizards are cultists, and they have like, you know, sacrifice type things and, and you know, recruiting and, and converting mechanics. Uh, there's an underworld expansion that adds moles, which is basically like a, a church with ministers uh, and corvids, which are rogues and get to poison people. So it's just a very fun game. Uh, it's got like an 8.1 on BGG and it, it's a ton of fun. It's one of those. I feel like there are certain board games that kind of gain their own cult following and board game culture. Mm -hmm. And Root is yeah. definitely one of them. Uh, Root has uh, a whole tabletop RPG system that you can play as well. So if you've ever dreamed about sitting down with some pen and paper and playing uh, a Dungeons & Dragons type game but Redwall, uh, Root, Root is the one for you. <laughs> that sounds pretty badass. It, I'd it, play that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And you can definitely fuck with people. <laughs> which I feel like yeah, is... I think that's <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's why it has mixed reviews. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's it's fun. I I play with a guy whose whole entire point of playing any board game is trying to win through helping other people. Uh, mm -hmm. So he tends to play the classes where he just gives shit out and then gets victory points. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, it is not a six-hour board game, by the way. It, it only takes... I feel like every time I played it, it's taken about two hours. That tracks. Mm -hmm. All right, Ryan, what's your second one? All right, so my second one is Terraforming Mars. came out in 2016. This has an 8.4 on BGG, and you can get it on Miniature Market right now for $52. Mm, this um, is a good one. I've played yeah. this one. 
Oh, so good. Um, I, I had such a hard time picking a middleweight game because there are so many good ones. I almost asked DJ, actually, actually both of you earlier in the week, can I, can I have like an honorable mention section? Um, <laughs> We've done that before. Okay. We have. I know. And that's why I was like, hmm. But I, I refrained. But so I ultimately picked this one because I do play it fairly frequently. Um, my board game group, plays online my, my work-based one plays online um pretty often and this is one of the ones that we can do so um it's it's, it's a fantastic game all right let me let me address my notes and go down the spiel um so bgg complexity rating is a 3.25 out of 5 and it's published by fricks games it's another asymmetrical game um, but you're playing as a corporation and you're racing to make Mars as a viable planet for humanity. Uh, you do this by raising the temperature, the oxygen, and getting like water slash oceans onto the planet. Um, it plays fantastic, in my opinion, at all counts. Uh, it goes up to five players, but you can also do it as a solo version. Um, I've only played the solo version a couple of times, but also good. You can, you can play in two hours with two to three people, but it usually takes three to four hours with four to five players. <clears throat> so it's primarily a um, card-based game. You're playing through cards with hand management, and it really shines if you're using the drafting version instead of like a straight drawing between rounds. Um You can choose to buy, well, you can draft and then you eventually choose to buy or keep. And then each player will take two actions at a time until everyone passes. Actions include putting into play new cards, activating previously played, like repeatable actions, doing the standard actions, or you could fund an award where you're basically gambling to say, I'm going to win this, or claim a milestone where you been the first person to achieve that thing you're gaining your points throughout the game and then there's like an end game scoring spectrum um and the game ends when the planet has been terraformed and we can all survive there um for me the beauty of this game is its variability like if you don't even have the expansions and you're not using the a very well-made free version of this game online not the Asmodee version which i have very strong feelings about Mm -hmm. um but you, every time you play it's different like everyone's going to be a different corp and like i said they're asymmetrical so the things that you get and bonuses that you get are different special powers you can do um the cards that you end up with are going to be different and when you're drafting you know you might give a card away you might keep a card and that completely changes how the game will go um you can go in and have completely different strategies every single time. Like you might go in one game and be like, you know what? I'm going to do all area control. I'm going to build on this board. I'm going to have cities. I'm going to have forests all over the planet. And the next time you could be like, you know what? Screw the board. I'm not going to do it. Instead, I'm going to have a bunch of cards in front of me where I just put, you know, like animals on and, you know, different things that let you basically accumulate resources on your cards and turn those into points at the end of the game. Um, both of those completely viable strategies. The other thing I like, and this sort of speaks to the games that you guys were talking about, is that you do have to keep an eye on the other players. Like, you can do your own thing, 
but eventually you're going to have to start making decisions where like, do I do the thing I want to do or do I fuck with the thing that they're doing? And I do love that ability to interact. I mean, to be fair, the answer is always fuck with the thing they're doing. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just have to drop the fucking hammer. I mean, when it comes down to it, it's what's, what's going to give you the most points. I mean, sure, we'll go with that. That's a way to play. <laughs> I mean, that only counts if you care about winning. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I am pretty competitive. <laughs> um, I thought you guys might like to hear some of the cards that are out there. Yes, um, please. I, I, I took a handful. So, Mark, you might know some of these. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, pets, which is every time someone else plays a city, you get a pet, and that turns into points at the end of the game. Um, Advanced Alloy is one of my favorite cards, which makes, um, you have resources that are steel and titanium and they can equate to an amount of money. They become more valuable for you. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Oh, that's my favorite. It's so good. Um, <laughs> this is, this is another fun one. Most people like this one. Giant Ice Asteroid. Uh, basically you're throwing an asteroid at someone in, in the planet and it, um, puts down to water it increases the temperature which you know for you is giving you four points um increases the temperature twice and then you're taking away leaves from another player which makes their ability to put down force a lot more difficult um nuclear zone so basically you get to nuke the planet and raise the temperature but you do lose two points at the end of the game for it so it's like a you get two points but then you lose two points yeah, they frown on you dropping an A-bomb. Mm-hmm. But you also get to screw with someone if you do it because you can put it next to their city and then uh, they can't put forest there. Um, and if they're building their cities right, you've just lost them like five points. Um, and the last one, just to sort of give more of a, a nicer example of generic play, is there's Underground City, which gives you the ability to up your production for steel twice, but you lose energy production and you get to put a city on the board just as an example of how gameplay might go. Nice. So yeah, that's terraforming Mars. One of my all time favorites. Have heard you talk about this one before. Have not actually played it myself. I know. I didn't think think. you would like it, but then I was like, Oh no, you would. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think you would like it. I do enjoy just fucking with people, to be fair. You do. (laughs) I don't know if you would win it. (laughs) To be fair, uh, I haven't won Dominion against Ryan in years. I still enjoy playing against her. (laughs) (laughs) Because every now and then I can win, and I will win by like double points of anybody else at the table. And that's just how it goes. Ridiculous amounts with the ridiculous strategies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mark, what's your second one? Uh, well, my second one uh, is also based on a video game, and it's also based on a franchise that I probably have an unhealthy obsession with, and it's Fallout Wasteland Warfare. Now, I've talked about the just straight-up Fallout board game before. I've talked about the Fallout tabletop RPG before. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to get into the wargaming miniature version because, damn it, if Bethesda can milk this cow a little more, they're going to. Are you out of Fallout things to talk about after this one? I think so. Have you actually? Have we actually talked about the video game series yet? 
I did talk about Fallout 4 uh, okay, in our okay. Hot Takes episode. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, and this was released in 2018 by uh, Modius, who's a big miniature wargaming company. And so it's basically your army-building, war-building game. Think Warhammer, think Malfo, um, you know, Age of Sigmar, any of those type games, where you pick a faction. In this case, they're based off of the Fallout universe. So Brotherhood of Steel, Institute, uh, Minutemen, Caesar's Legion, etc., 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 and you buy little miniatures that all have point values, and you build an army. <clears throat> What's uh, fun about it is, of course, it's based off of Fallout, and they're kind of going backwards. So all the first sets, the starter sets and everything else, were Fallout 4. They've released uh, the Fallout New Vegas factions and minis, uh, and they even have some stuff out from Fallout 2. Frank Horgan's probably the big one. Um, mm. He's $38 just for him. <clears throat> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Liberty Prime is 100 if you can find it, because it's sold out everywhere. Uh, but it's you can either play it uh, PvP or PvE, and there are fairly complicated rules for a quote-unquote AI. You know, basically how they would react, what they aggro, where they go. And there's all different scenarios, loosely based off of missions you might encounter in any of the games. So you have a playmat, you have molded miniatures for terrain and for obstacles. You have your miniatures, which you have to put together and paint for your army. And, uh, you know, you could either play against somebody playing super mutants or robots or gunners or whoever, or you could sort of tag team it. We were talking about 3D printers before. Uh, Modius is kind of fun. They will sell you the sets, which vary in price. I actually have on order Boone, Cass, and who the hell is the third one in that set? It's three people from Fallout, uh, New Vegas, three companions. And uh, they were like 20 bucks for the three of them. Or for anything, they will sell you the STL file so you can print it at home. So how many of those do you, have you sent over to Lou? <laughs> well, it's funny. When I first got into the game, I actually cleared off space uh, where I assemble and paint miniatures for Blood Bowl and for D&D and for everything else. And I was a day or two away from buying a 3D printer. I had the model picked that I was going to buy and everything. And I don't remember why I hesitated and a week later, we ended up with a cat. <laughs> and, you know, they run a long time. They get really hot. It's just not going to be a good thing. So I haven't come up with a plan B yet. Maybe now that we have the new garage, maybe I'll put a 3D printer out there. Uh, but I haven't bought one yet. But, no, you can actually, and the files are cheap. They're only like five or six bucks a piece. And they'll sell you pretty much <clears throat> anything you want to do. I predict you get pissed at needing to calibrate that printer and throw it out a window five minutes in. Uh, probably, uh, I, they're also still really slow, mm -hmm. which is the thing people don't really mm -hmm. tell you. Like one mini takes like a day Yeah, yeah. and I don't really have patience. <laughs> uh, the other fun thing is you could actually tie this into the fallout tabletop RPG. So you could basically play scenarios from the RPG book, 
but with your terrain and actually having to measure out range and line of sight and all that different stuff uh, and play, you know, with miniatures. Mm-hmm. So you can get kind of like a three-dimensional aspect. It's pretty long. Depending on the scenario, you could go as short as 90 minutes all the way up to six, seven, eight hours. Um, you know, you have a big play mat. It, I generally recommend setting it up in a room. You're not going to go in very often and just leaving it and coming back, especially if you're playing single player, like do a couple rounds, you know, do something with your life, come back, do a couple <laughs> rounds because it could get pretty in depth. Um, but it is so lore heavy. It is so like, you know, just between the perks and the weapons and the equipment and things. Uh, if you're a fan of the game series, especially if you played, you know, a good chunk of them, uh, and you know, really know all the references and inside jokes, you will love this. So I, I highly recommend it. But it's like any war building game; it can get fucking expensive. Mm. Uh, core sets cost thirty to forty dollars. Different officer sets are fifteen to twenty to thirty, and you're going to need a couple. Plus, you're going to need enemies. There is a starter set that gives you a couple monsters, gives you a couple player characters, gives you a couple super mutants. Uh, but eventually you're going to want to expand. You're going to want to get that sweet, sweet Legion and <laughs> go from there. Amazing. What's your third one? Your second one? My second one is, so my last two games, I have to confess, I have not played them yet because they have not arrived at my house yet. Oh, um, I've been following <laughs> them uh, religiously for a, a while now. Um, so both of these are Kickstarter games. Uh, this one that I'm going to be talking about now is called Flamecraft. And Flamecraft, uh, if my math is right, uh, the last cargo ship that has the American um, versions of this game just hit the West Coast yesterday. So I should have this in my hands within the next month. Uh, but the really interesting part of Flamecraft, uh, and we'll talk about the game in a second, but Flamecraft, the art style for Flamecraft, is based off of a uh, a piece of digital art by the artist Sandara called Creme Brulee. I highly recommend uh, all of you go check this out. I have uh, a physical copy of this art that I want to put up somewhere in my house. Um but it is a young witch seated, seated at a, caf, uh, a cafe table with uh, a nice waiter who's got a little dragon over his arm. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people have seen this. With the dragon's flame is, um, it is searing the sugar for the creme brulee. Mm-hmm. And the, there is a tagline uh, that goes along with this painting, uh, which is in a magical world with a magic cafe, there's a tiny dragon that makes creme brulee. And that is the entire basis for the art style of Flamecraft. Mm-hmm. Flamecraft uh, craft has very little to do with cafes. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the art style uh, is very reminiscent of this painting. And all of the dragons are super adorable. Uh, the entire point of this game is to gain victory points by gathering up items, building up shops, competing for patrons and attracting dragons into your shop and you play a flame keeper who is a shopkeep who can communicate with dragons. So it's very fantastical. 
Uh, it, there's been some beta versions out there for a while now. It's got a 7.9 out on BGG. And it's a one to five player game where, uh, you know, it's it's all about shopkeepers and uh, cute dragons. Uh, there are at last count, there are six different kinds of dragons in this game. There's a bread dragon, a meat dragon, an iron dragon, a crystal dragon, a plant dragon and a potion dragon. There's a bunch of different kinds of uh, a bunch of different dragons in each category. Uh, and it's. Super cute. It's uh, super fun. It's it. It reminds me a little bit of Tavern Masters, I think. Um, mm. But rather than Tavern Masters, where you will gain new items each round, it looks like you're gonna have to actually go out into the city and shop for things to bring back to your shop. Uh, so there's another angle to this. Yeah, the 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 art is super cute, and it's got really pretty miniatures. Uh, it, it's the the friend uh my, my buddy at the dojo who turned me on to root he and i both kickstarted flamecraft in the same week so we've been texting back and forth about it uh this whole time so uh, i'm really excited for this uh I'll, I'll do an update in a future episode to talk a little bit about um you know how good the game actually is because y- you never know with kickstarter games sometimes they're they're hot mm-hmm. and sometimes they're flops but I'm feeling pretty good about Flamecraft. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you'll come over at some point when I have it, Ryan. We'll play it. I'll bring Terraforming Mars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. Now that's trade for the ages. <laughs> All right, we're in the home stretch. Ryan, what is your last game? Uh, so my last game is Project L. It came out, the original version, in 2020. It's got a 7.6 on BGG, and you can pick it up for under 30 bucks, around like 27, 28 uh, for the base game. And it's it's my lightweight choice, um, and also a Kickstarter game. So, nice. <laughs> timely. Yeah. <laughs> the um, BGG complexity rating is 1.53 out of five, so nice and nice and comfy there on the the end of the night games. And it's published by uh, Board Cubator. Um, this game you can do with a, like a solo version if you want, just like Terraforming Mars, but you can go up to four players unless you have the expansions. In that case, you can go up to six. Um, and compared to my other choices, this one, this one's a quick hit. You can play it half hour to an hour and it's usually on the shorter side. Um, it's a puzzly game. It's a Tetrisy game and you get these puzzle tiles and you fill them with these Tetris shaped pieces and you do that. These puzzles will give you points and they will give you better, more useful uh, Tetris pieces. And this one, honestly, like you said, Kickstarter game, you never know. Right. And it was a pleasant surprise for me. Um, I got mine through the 2021 expansion Kickstarter thing uh, they were doing the finesse release. So this was after the original game came out and I got it because I personally, I love spatial stuff. And because I love spatial stuff, I got it with all the possible things. I got the original game. I got all the extra bits and do had doodads that it came with. Um, in itself, it's extremely well-made. And if you do get the chance to get it, I suggest getting the bigger box with all the organizational trays and stuff. 100% worth it. You don't want to be stuck with just like 
a bag to put all the bits in because <laughs> that's what you get. You get one giant velvet bag. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> not good. Um, so yeah, they, they did a really good job investing in like really great solid materials, really like thick cardboard pieces, really great plastic pieces. Um, the rules are well crafted and simple to learn and the player boards themselves are really intuitive. Um, for me though, like the best thing is you don't have to be spatial to like the game and be good at it. Um, I thought for sure my mom and my partner would not like this game at all. Uh, spatial stuff is not their thing. They, when I want to play one of them, like I have to like earn the favor. <laughs> like <laughs> they don't like playing things like Blocus with me, like anything that's spatial. It's like, ah, it's a, it's a struggle. Um, but I love them. So I was really hoping that this one would, would turn out to be okay. And with them, like the way they designed these puzzles, not only are they like really nicely crafted, like thick, thick cardboard with like insets in them. So you're not worried about stuff getting like, jostled and like flying across the table or anything um they have a they're designed with this like grid pattern in them so you don't have to be especially good at spatial things to be able to play along and and figure out how things are going to fit together and so like my partner really loves it um my mom oh my god mom is one of her top games and she's the one that like not enjoys spatial games at all so it was a shock for me and it's become a staple in my family such a good like end of the night game or introductory game when you're waiting for folks to come over or like, and this has happened, you're playing a, like at a pool party and you've got like the board gamers are like, can we do something that's not getting burnt in the sun? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's Project L. I love that. That sounds awesome. That does sound like a good time. It is. I, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm hoping that the expansion version of the game comes out soon. Because right now you can only get the base. Um, but, you know, honestly, just getting the base, fantastic. Just such a good game. You put the pieces on, the game ends when the um, high-level tiles run out, and then whoever has the most points wins. Simple. Easy. I love a good, a, a good simple game to kind of cleanse the palate. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> All right, what do you got for your last one, Mark? Well, I also have a Kickstarter game. <laughs> uh, we all went to Kickstarter. Thought, <laughs> yeah. One that I thought would never actually come and then did. Uh, and I'm going three for three with the uh, uh, major IP licenses because, you know, whatever. I'm a filthy casual. Call me what I am. I don't care. <laughs> and this is uh, Batman the Animated Series Shadow of the Bat. And this came out uh, just recently, December of 2021. It was by the now-closed IDW Games. Its birth was kind of rough. Uh, The Kickstarter started in 2019 before COVID. Then we had COVID. We had all the shutdowns. We had et cetera, et cetera. There were the power outages slash allotments in China for the different factories IDW Games then went bankrupt and was shut down. And uh, I believe it was Christmas Eve of this past year. It showed up on my parents' doorstep and the old man's like, what the hell is this huge box from China you ordered? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. And I go over there and I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot this was even a thing. This was was like three years ago. Was this the one with the million miniatures? Yeah. It has just under 100 (laughs) minis. 
Jesus. Wow. 96 <laughs> or 97, I believe. And now if you're my age, DJ's age, uh, I don't know how old Ryan is, and I'm not going to ask a lady your age because I don't want to get hit. <laughs> uh, but if you're of a certain age, the Batman animated series was like the thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you know, when I still read comics, Kevin Conroy's voice I hear for Batman, Mark Hamill for the Joker. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. 100%. So I saw this Kickstarter and was just like, I don't care. Take my money. And uh, I got the quote-unquote all-in, I think it was called. Uh, it was like $300. And it has pretty much any character that was ever on the show, including one-shots, has a little miniature. I have maybe 14 of them painted so far, 15, something like that, out of the 96 or 97 now, this is actually part of the sadly now defunct, because IDW Games is defunct, AUGS system. Uh, it is the, uh, God, I forgot what the A is, Universal Gaming System. Hang on, I just, I forgot what the fucking A stands for. Uh, but basically, it allows you to mix and match different characters and different board games. And adventures, that's what it is. Adventures Universal Gaming System, AUGS. And they only released two IPs with this before they went under. The, the uh, Batman was actually the second one and the last one. DJ, do you know what the first one was? No. It was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> really? Awesome. Yes. So since all of the minis and all of the rules and everything... Uh, go together if you buy the idw games uh teenage mutant ninja turtles i think it's called changes constant i believe is what it's called you can use like your leo your donatello your april your splinter in the batman scenarios and likewise you could use batman robin etc in the teenage mutant ninja turtle scenarios that's amazing that's so cool they actually were, the third one was that they had announced before they went under was actually uh, Mutimals. But then they, hmm. they went under and they didn't do it. Uh, what's fun about this is, since there are so many minis, they give you rules to play as either the heroes or the villains. Uh, it can be two players to six players. You can play PvE, PvP, doesn't matter, however you want to do it. Uh, the scenario book books, plural, that come with it, they're basically, you're recreating episodes of the show. Uh, and basically, the way the AUG system works is every mini has its own set of dice. There's a shitload of dice. And <laughs> they're all uh, based, like, you know, there's little boots, which is movement. There's, like, a gadget icon. There's this or that. So you roll the set of dice, and however many icons you have, that corresponds to what you can do that turn. So if you roll three movement, you can move three times. If you roll movement and a gadget, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you want to build a balanced squad. You don't want to have all technical people. You don't want to have all gadget people. You don't want to have all brawler people. Uh, there's also, which is kind of fun, a clay face mode. And this is for when you have multiple people, like four, five, six players, you deal the Clayface deck, and basically it tells you whether or not you're actually the character you're supposed to be, or if you're Clayface in disguise. That's amazing. And <laughs> if you're Clayface in disguise, at some point you can reveal that, and then it basically turns into Betrayal of the House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. Which is really fun. Oh, my God. Right, yeah. That's the <laughs> only mode I would want to play. 
That was a Kickstarter incentive, and everyone is like, holy fucking shit, we have to raise this money and get this. Uh, so yeah, if you're a fan of Batman, even if you're not a fan of the animated series necessarily itself, if you're a fan of Batman, period, if you're a fan of the early DC animation, because like Supergirl has a mini, Livewire has a mini, stuff like that, uh, it's fantastic. Even though IDW went out of business, you could still get the game. It's not cheap. Um, it's about $300 if you want everything, <laughs> but it's fucking awesome. And I mean, when you have all the boxes, it comes up to about knee high on me and I'm six foot. So you get a lot of shit. That's amazing. All right. Finish this off. End us on a good note here. Well, I, I purposely maneuvered this. Uh, so that I could go last because this game is uh, both new and coming from Kickstarter and thematically appropriate. Oh, Uh-oh. <laughs> this game is called Distilled. Oh, bullshit. Oh. <laughs> uh, so Distilled, um, for anybody who's been around the board game scene for a while, uh, the art for Distilled is being done by the same people who did the art for Marrying Mr. Darcy, uh, which is a, I would say, probably a little-known um, card game that is stupidly good for, for what you would initially th- think it is. I mean, Mr. Darcy's my coworker's cat, so, like, why does he have his own card game? It's, I'm it's very... like a Jane Austen thing. Yeah, it is. But it's just, I have to tell her that, I have to tell Amy now that her cat has a card game. Yes. Oh, uh, Amy! <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Distilled is basically, uh, it's like Stardew Valley, but instead of a farm, it's a distillery, and it's a card game. Yes. So this. you inherit a distillery <laughs> and then the game is played over and I'm reading directly off their Kickstarter. It's played over seven rounds and each round has four phases, the market phase, the distill phase, the mm-hmm. age phase and the sell phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, you acquire goods uh, to, to make your distillates in the market phase. You craft the the distillates in the distill phase. You age them in a warehouse in the age phase. And then you get money and points for selling your spirits in the sell phase. I could not think of a more appropriate game to close out board games to than this amazing sounding game. I do not have it in my hands yet. Um, but, uh, Mark... I really want to play this with you and Iggy because it's a strategy card game with resource management. I mean, he'll kill us, but I don't care. I want to play it anyway. Yeah. Uh, But yeah. Invite me. I'll bring chaos. Invite me. It just sounds so good. And the art is bonkers. I funded it at the one at like one additional level up. So it come, it's coming with the Africa and middle East expansions uh, like there's y- there's different distillers, there's different distillery cards, there's a crazy amount of like items and premium items. There's upgrade packs. It looks so complicated. It's a little bit bonkers, um, but there's been like a print print your own version out for a while now, and the the reviews are just 
bonkers out there. Like it's, it, I guess everybody really likes it. Um, it does have a 7.9 on BGG, which honestly is pretty damn good. Uh, I don't yeah. even think Dominion has a very high one on BGG. They're, they kind of are a bit uh, brutal. But yeah, um, distilled. I cannot wait. Now that sounds freaking awesome. It's got big yeah. shoes to fill with Red Scare, but if any game can do it, that one might be able to. <sighs> yeah. Instead of foreign accents, drunken accents. <laughs> drunken foreign accents. <laughs> oh, God. I can back it up. It's 7.6 for Dominion on BGG. Yeah. Yeah, so as, as amazing, Dominion's easily in my, like, slot one as my favorite go-to game, but, yeah. It it doesn't have a very high score. BGG is brutal. Yeah, no, no I'm, I'm so excited for this. I'm very excited. I can't I can't wait for Flamecraft for the theme, but I can't wait for Distilled for the, the like, the game construct. But I think that's it. Do we have any honorable mentions that w- that we want to just like mention real quick? Oh my god, can I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't describe them. You can only name them. Okay. Oh god. Oh, this is gonna be so hard. Okay. Woo. All right. So I'm not gonna do any like two player games and just you know, uh, shameless plug. You want to invite me back? And we do two player only games. Mm. Um. But um. Okay. She so was scared to death an hour ago. Now she wants to come back. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I'm still shaking and I am just like super like tense, but that's okay. It's been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Um, (laughs) I do really love board games though, Mark. You have no idea. I couldn't tell. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm just going to list a couple um, and I'm going to do this first one because uh, DJ, I think you mentioned Pandemic the last time you did. I I think I might have mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, I think you did. Um, so I'm going to say Pandemic Legacy because my family is playing it right now. And yes. like we're actually kind of replaying it because that's how good it is. It's worth the investment. Do Pandemic Legacy. Um, the game that I w- wanted to do instead of Project L, the one that was in competition for it, is called Furnace. It's an engine building game. Check it out. Um, Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. I'm bringing this one up because Mark, you mentioned um, the portal game where you're like you're going along the track, right? Yep. So in Zulkin, the board literally physically moves. Cool. The calendar, yeah, it's amazing. The calendar actually makes the whole game state maneuver. You know about it. You're aware of it. You can see it. You can predict it. But you do have to account for it, and it makes it such a good game. Um, the other ones I want to just like quickly mention are Crew. If you like trick-taking games and cooperative games, back to the whole pandemic thing, um, Crew can do two to five players. Check it out. It's like a, a version of Spades, but instead of teams, everybody works together to meet criteria. Um, and then you guys love minis, so I just wanted to mention Mansions of Madness. Nice. Yes. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I support that wholeheartedly. <laughs> so I did my part, guys. Board games, fucking yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. 
<laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I've had so much fun. Oh, of course, Ryan. Mark, take us out of here. Well, I have one honorable mention only because, and you're all gonna laugh. If you, it's one of those. If you know, you know, and if you don't know, when when you look it up later, you're gonna be like, "Why the fuck did he mention that?" But it actually <laughs> was the answer on Jeopardy to a question a couple nights ago, and I knew what it was, and I got really excited because it took me back to when I was like five. Um, don't break the ice. It's fucking fantastic. It's yeah. a great game. <laughs> I think that was one of the first board games I ever played in my life, and I'm sad that I don't have it anymore. Like, I would play it today. I don't care. Um, (laughs) And I knew what it was, and my wife didn't, and I got really excited. And she's like, can we play it? And then I got sad because I'm like, no, I don't have it anymore. So that's my honorable mention. (laughs) I don't know. Fuck it. I might order it off Amazon. I don't care anymore. Um, but no, (laughs) that's the end of the episode. And sadly, that's the end of the season. So, uh, you know, we're going to go into our usual hiatus. We we don't know what next season's going to look like, but we're going to have some form of a next season. Uh, we'll probably do a trailer or two. And then I think the special we're going to have to do is going to have to be the hundredth episode special. We're going to have to do something for the hundred. Probably. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's going to come out exactly, I don't know, but we'll have to do some form of special for a hundred. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Keep your eyes peeled for some trailers, which will probably just be me laughing at DJ cause he's tired and cause I'm a terrible human. <laughs> so, you know, spoiler alert, you have that to look forward to Uh big thank you to Ryan for coming out, uh, and keeping us from being guestless for this season. And for giving us a lot to think about uh, for video or, yeah, video games. Listen to me, Jesus. For board games, uh, I, I've been furiously scribbling notes because I think I have a few new acquisitions I need to make. So kudos to you. Uh, as always, you can find us in all 95, 6, 7, however the hell many episodes we have out now. Episodes on you know Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts. Basically, if there is an app that has the word pod in it, I'm fairly confident (laughs) we're in it. And if we're not, email us and I'll get us on there. (laughs) We have to to keep that joke going. Uh, Big shout out to Nuno Henry Silva. Uh, He did the intro and outro music for us. He's been a guest a couple times. We love him. Uh, We're going to send you to his SoundCloud. You can listen to all his good music. Uh, He's got a couple books on Amazon. He's doing all sorts of things in Beantown now, so uh, we'll have to get an update from him how he's doing. Uh, DJ, you know, this is your rodeo. This was your idea way back when, five full seasons ago now. Do you want to have the last word for the season? Do you want to close it out for us? Uh, I mean, I can just say, you know, (laughs) season's over. Uh, We don't have a topic next week. Um, and honestly, the next topic we have is probably going to be me going, oh my God, I'm so tired. That was both terror and relief when he said we don't have a topic. Cause he's like, I don't have to research anything this week. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we've definitely got some, some sort of topics lined up for a potential season six. 
Uh, I think what we will probably do is do some specials through the end of the year just to allow me to be tired for a while. Yeah, basically, if you're a fan of the Grand Tour on Amazon, their format now, or just every few weeks, I come out with a long-ass special, that's probably what it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, probably, we'll probably just do an, extend, <laughs> an extended season of specials. And then, I, you know, my hope is to come back uh, with a regular 15-episode season in, se- in probably January when things are a little bit more stable. Uh, we'll, we'll see how things look. We'll definitely come back for our normal uh, holiday special because no matter how tired I am, there's no way in hell this Grinch is getting out of a Christmas special. <laughs> God damn yes. it! I really, really <laughs> thought we were gonna be a, we were gonna avoid this. No, uh, fuck no! I will, I will be <laughs> here falling asleep with a screaming kid on my lap, and you will still need to talk about Christmas, Mark. Uh. <laughs> I suppose I have that one coming, don't I? But at the very least, look out for some trailers. Look out for some specials. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to miss you in between seasons. But if you've got whiskeys you want us to, to try out, if you've got topics you'd love to hear our silly takes on, if you want a guest spot on the show, uh, well, maybe that last one might be a little bit harder. But... Uh, let us know. Uh, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Gmail. Um, but yeah, uh, end of season five. I will probably be a dad the next time we launch our our, our next season. So uh, that's a scary thought. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, and you know, speaking of scary thoughts, if for whatever reason you've decided that you can't get enough of me, number one, seek professional help. But number two, if you uh, just Google the 1821 Studios, I have a couple of other podcasts that I've been roped into doing. Uh, you can hear me there. They're not quite as good, and they're not quite as uh, ex- adult-oriented, uh, but they seem to have their own weird following. So, you know, hey, uh, those will be still on a somewhat regular basis because Mike doesn't let me sleep. So while the Witten Whiskey, you know, is going to be more specials, that they will continue more regularly. So it's, it's true. You... Shameless plug. Fireside Chat has some interesting things to check out. I know I don't normally plug your other podcasts, but some, they got to listen to something. Fireside History is uh, doing pretty well. We we actually just got sponsored, which was terrifying because <laughs> people were just like, here's some money. And I was like, but I'm not racing anymore. And they're like, no, asshole, for your podcast. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is weird. OK, so head over to Fireside History if you want to learn all about Manscaped. No, no. We actually got sponsored by a bunch of lawyers by the Bar Association. So (laughs) kudos to them. That's awesome. Well, until whatever comes next, we will be back in some format. I will be tired. Mark will be punchy, but we'll be back, folks. So, you know, Tuesday shit. (laughs) But until then, cheers. Salud.